Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his will. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. This week, I attended a clergy conference in Temecula. The retreat leader was trained in the practice of spiritual direction, and she led us on a series of guided meditations for the whole group. And in one meditation, she made a thought-provoking observation. She suggested that the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden was not disobeying God and eating of the forbidden fruit, but rather the sin was, and I'm paraphrasing from memory here, that they did not see what was in front of them all along. They did not see that God had already given them everything that they could possibly have wanted, needed, or desired. And the purpose of this insight was to challenge us in our guided meditation to slow down and to take the time to see all that God has given to us, to consider that God has given us everything that we could possibly want, need, or desire, and it is left to us to have eyes to see these gifts and open up our hearts to receive them. Now, you can't very well talk back in the middle of a guided meditation at a clergy conference. That's what sermons are for. I thought, I thought that this was an insightful observation and one well worth pondering, but I'm not sure it gets us to the heart of the matter. Why did Adam and Eve disobey God and eat the fruit that he explicitly forbade them to eat? Well, as the story goes, that ancient serpent, that great dragon who is called the devil and Satan, the very same serpent from St. John's Revelation in today's epistle, he tempts Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit by promising them, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. This is a classic con. Adam and Eve have been formed of the earth. God has breathed his own breath into them. Of all God's creation, they are uniquely created in the image and likeness of God. Of all God's creation, we human beings are uniquely created in the image and likeness of God. And here it is. They are already like God. It's all good in the garden. The only recourse is to throw a wrench in this machine, which Satan does by sowing these seeds of doubt. If you do this thing, then you will be like God. The real source of the breakdown, of the problem that leads to the disobedience, is not so much that Adam and Eve can't see, it's that in the face of this temptation, confronted with the seeds of doubt and confusion and the lies of the serpent, they do not trust God. That's it. There it is. God has given them everything that they could ever want, need, or desire. The only recourse the devil has is to undermine their faith in the goodness of God and try and chip away at their trust in God. Only then will they turn away from and disobey God. 
Adam and Eve disobey God's commandment, that's for sure, <clears throat> but they're not evil, ungrateful, rebellious God-haters. Rather, they are fearful, anxious, confused, and ultimately, they falter in their trust in God. Did God lie to us? That's what the serpent seems to suggest. What if he did lie to us? Then what? Who should we believe? What should we believe? What should we do? Perhaps we should pause here and consider the question, what are the situations and the circumstances in our own lives where we are struggling to trust God? Where we are being tempted to wonder, did God lie to me? I mean, I know what he said, but can I trust him? What if God isn't telling the truth? Who should I believe? What should I do? Of course, the serpent's objective is not that humans would be like God. Goodness, no. We already are, and he knows this. His objective is our destruction, which, if we're honest, he's not half bad at. There is no treaties or compromise in spiritual warfare. It is a zero-sum war. In today's epistle, St. John recounts his vision of war breaking out in heaven, not diplomatic negotiations, not surrender or retreat, but conflict, war. His vision bears witness to the unsettling truth that at the core of the Christian faith, there is a primeval and enduring conflict. We might go so far as to say that the Christian faith is defined by the conflict in which it is engaged. The Christian faith is not a feel-good self-help program. It is dangerous and challenging. The Christian has, by virtue of his or her identity in Christ, voluntarily enlisted in this war against, see if these words sound familiar, against Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God, against the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God, against all sinful desires that draw us from the love of God. That's why we renounce all of these before we are baptized into the body of Christ. We stake our claim on the side of God and sign up to fight on his side of the battle. Like it or not, believe it or not, the Christian is engaged in this ongoing spiritual conflict. To disbelieve or ignore the reality of the war will not make it go away, it will only make it that much easier for our adversary to prevail. C.S. Lewis writes in one of his most famous works, The Screwtape Letters, which is an account of one demon mentoring another, he, he writes, now this is from the demon perspective, mind you, our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it is an old textbook method of confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. As we have already established, the principal tactic and weapon of our adversary is to try and convince us that we can be like God, that we can be God. C.S. Lewis, in his other famous work, Mere Christianity, puts it this way. He says, 
The sin of Satan was wanting to be God, and that was the sin he taught the human race. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed, Lewis says, is this. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Against this deception, then, <clears throat> that we can be like God, St. Michael, the archangel, responds with the message of fierce faithfulness that his name represents. Michael is a Hebrew name which literally translates as a question, who is like unto God? And the answer is that no one but God alone is like God. No one can be like God but God alone. St. Michael's sword pierces this dark lie with the message of divine light and truth. Who is like unto God? No one but God alone. It's crucial for us to be clear about the nature of the God whom St. Michael defends. This God is not a nameless subjective deity of his own understanding. When Michael says, who is like unto God, he is referring to the one living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You'll notice that on this feast during the Eucharistic liturgy, the proper preface for the, the celebration of St. Michael and all angels is the preface for Trinity Sunday. That is because it is the Holy Trinity whom St. Michael worships, serves, and defends against the enemy. Furthermore, the message of St. Michael points us directly to the cross. When we respond to temptation with St. Michael's message, who can be like God, no one but God alone, we mount the cross with our own lives in deference to living in loving faithfulness, obedience, and service to Almighty God. St. John, in his vision, recounts our ancestral Christian family, the communion of saints, defeating Satan and his angels by the blood of the Lamb shed for us on the cross and by the word of their testimony, their confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. When we pick up our cross daily, we live in deference to the reality that God is God and we are not. When we unite ourselves to God in Christ, dying with him on the cross, we die to ourselves, to our disordered desires, our sinful appetites, our selfish wills. And when these are put to death on the cross of Christ, we become partakers of his resurrected life. The devil and his angels are no longer in heaven, 
They have been cast out, and we are invited to come in. The war continues here on earth, but heaven is secured. Our Lord himself is the ladder by which humans have access once again to the kingdom of heaven and God himself. The angels of God, including and especially St. Michael the Archangel, continue in their struggle on our behalf, ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, which is our Lord Jesus Christ and his body, the Church, guarding and guiding and protecting us, providing safe passage into the kingdom of God. The heavenly hosts are steadfast in their calling, as the psalmist writes, these mighty ones who do God's bidding, ministers of his who do his will. The struggle endures, but the path ahead is cleared. As we celebrate this feast of St. Michael and all angels, may God give us grace to fix our hearts upon his Son and to trust in him with all our heart, leaning not on our own understanding, to not be deceived by the deceiver or distracted by the adversary. May St. Michael and all the angels of God defend and protect us as we cling steadfast to our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the ladder that stretches from earth to heaven and leads us from death to life. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost.